Acts 15, 36-16, 10. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision immediately, he sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. This is the word of the Lord. Let me open us with a word of prayer. Father, as we hear from your word this morning, may your word do the work it has to do. And I pray that our hearts will be open and receptive and soft. And may those who are discouraged, may they receive hope. May those who um, are wandering, may they be brought back. May every heart confess that you are Lord and there is no other. We pray this in your holy and your beautiful name. Amen. I've mentioned this before, uh, so sorry if I sound like a broken record, but my, my family served as missionaries when I was in elementary school. We served for four years in a country called Slovakia. It's in Central Europe. Now, we were there four years, and the intention when we went was to go and stay. My parents, obviously, I was six when we went there, so I, I was not really part of the decision. I was tagging along, but my parents' intention was to go to Slovakia, put down roots, and stay as long as there was gospel work to do, and there was much gospel work to do. But after four years, because of a variety of circumstances, you know, there was no moral failing or anything like that, but it was various circumstances, my family decided to come back to the States, and it was somewhat of a sudden decision. Uh, and it was very disorienting for my family, because we went from thinking, hey, we're going to be in Slovakia for the foreseeable future, and then all of a sudden, within a couple months, we're packing up our belongings and moving to rural Pennsylvania, which is not where we were from, but it's where my dad got a job. 
And it was, it was difficult, I mean, as a 10-year-old, to go through that and that kind of whiplash and leave, leave the country that had become my home uh, was difficult. But as I get older, I've also begun to reflect more on my parents' perspective, because it occurred to me recently that I'm only a couple years younger than my mom was when she returned back to America. And I can imagine my mom thinking, you know, they'd spent 10 years going to seminary, uh, raising support, four years in Slovakia. I mean, some of the best years of their lives was my mom's basically her 30s, you know, productive years. And now we're, we're all of a sudden back in rural Pennsylvania. And like, what was all of that for? What was the point of it all? I don't don't know. I don't know what the point of it all was. Those are mysteries that God alone knows. But I will say this. I'm I'm glad that we came back. Because a couple years after we were back, I went to a summer camp, and and I met Jesus. Now, could Jesus have saved me if we'd stayed in Slovakia? Of course. But that's not where he saved me. He saved me at High Point Camp outside of Reading, Pennsylvania. That's an example of what I'm calling this morning the gracious and strange providence of God. Sometimes our lives take turns we don't expect, and sometimes those turns are disappointing, sometimes they're hard. And we can wonder, God, what are you doing? But what the Bible tells us is that God has not abandoned us even when that happens. In fact, he's still our father, he's still caring for us, he's still providentially in control, and he's working through that. And he's graciously providential because he doesn't treat us how our sins deserve. In Christ, there's forgiveness. In Christ, there's newness of life. But even more than that, strangely so, oftentimes what seems so difficult in the moment is what God is using to bring about his desires in our lives. And so that's why it's both God's gracious and yet strange providence. And this is the story that we see in Acts 15 and 16. Uh, when we begin this story, we've just come off a high point in Acts. The Jerusalem Council, if there's, you know, like high points in Acts, you have Pentecost, and then probably Jerusalem Council is the next high point. Because you have the moment where the church could split into two. between, And it would be ethnically split between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and the unity of the church is preserved. The gospel is preserved. There's still good news. That salvation is by faith through grace. And the church avoids a split, and they continue in unity and harmony, and then all of a sudden there's a separation between, of all people, Paul and Barnabas, the two missionaries who started the mission to the Gentiles. And it's not over, like, doctrinal issues. It's over practical concerns. What's all that about? And then Paul kind of basically stumbles into the second missionary journey. And the whole story's strange, and it's not a clear line from A to B. And through it all, though, we see God's, again, gracious and his strange providence at work in all of this, bringing about his plans and his desires. And there's much in here, I think, that can encourage us, because oftentimes life feels like it's pretty strange. And, it, you know, life doesn't go from A to B like we think it should. And it's known that God is providentially at work and in control and bringing about his purposes, oftentimes through what seems so strange is a great hope for us. So our outline for us where we're going this morning, first point is God's gracious and strange providence when Christians can't agree. Second is more of God's gracious and strange providence. And then third, even more of God's gracious and strange providence. So if you just, if you just, if you just get this idea of gracious and strange providence, um, you basically got the sermon. 
So our first point, again, God's gracious and strange providence when Christians can't agree. Now, I've already mentioned, we're coming right off the Jerusalem Council. The church uh, avoids a schism, a split. The gospel's preserved. And it ends on a very upbeat note. It ends uh, focusing on the church in Antioch. Uh, Messengers from the Jerusalem Council have come. They've given the news. The church is being built up. Uh, They're being encouraged. Paul and Barnabas are preaching the word together for, you know, sustained time and period. And then we pick up here in verses uh, 36 to 41. Let me read these for us again. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take take with them John called Mark, But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So it begins here. Paul wants to go back and visit the churches that they had planted in the region of Galatia. Again, Paul was a church planner. That was, his calling from Christ was to take the gospel where it wasn't known. And so he was always on a kind of pioneering work. But Paul remained a pastor. And when he would go in and he would plant churches and see people come to Christ, he wouldn't plant these churches and then peace out and never think about them, but they remained close to his heart. And he bore the burden of the well-being of his children in the faith for the rest of his life, which is why he would talk about the crushing burdens of his ministry. I mean, he, was, he had a unique ministry that most of us will probably not have. But he wants to go back and he wants to visit and strengthen these brothers and sisters, his children in the faith. And Barnabas agrees to this, but there's one catch. Barnabas wants to take with them John Mark. Now, if you remember from Acts 13, 13, John Mark had started with them on the first missionary journey, but about halfway through, he just left. And we're not told why, but it's clear from Paul's response to Barnabas that Paul at least viewed that as abandoning the mission, that John Mark left a job undone. And so Paul doesn't think this is wise to bring John Mark with them, and this leads to uh, a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. Now, I mentioned last week, sometimes when Christians fight, when churches have conflict, it's not clear who's right and who's wrong. And if you were in small group this last week, one of the questions we asked was, who do you think's right, Paul or Barnabas? And the whole point of it was that it's just, this is one of those situations where it's just not clear. And you can kind of look, you can kind of see both perspectives. You can imagine Paul saying to Barnabas, Barnabas, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. We've seen what Paul Barnabas did when the going got rough. He pieced out. We can't bring him. The gospel's too urgent. I mean, this could, be a, uh, this could be a hindrance to seeing people come to Christ. It's not worth the risk. Plus, Barnabas, we're going into a place where Christians every day are, are in danger for their faith. I mean, Paul himself was almost killed in Lydia because of his profession of faith. And so we're going to bring a guy who's going to show up, and in the midst of that persecution, he's going to leave. What kind of example is that going to give to the Christians who live in Lydia and Iconium and Antioch and who can't leave? It's not wise. Let's not bring him. That makes sense. We can, see Paul, we can see Paul's perspective. It's also pretty easy to see Barnabas's perspective, too. I mean, Barnabas is his nickname, which means son of encouragement. If you remember Barnabas's role with Paul, you can imagine Barnabas saying, Paul, seriously, 
You of all people who used to persecute the church, who oversaw the murdering of Stephen, should understand that Jesus gives second chances. You know, Barnabas might remind Paul, Paul, don't forget I was the only Christian that was willing to take a chance on you. Don't forget when you were back home in Tarsus, I went and found you and brought you to Antioch. You of all people, Paul, I don't want to be mean, but this sounds a little hypocritical. And then Paul feels a little stung by that, and he says, well, Barnabas, I don't want to be mean, but I think the fact that John Mark is your cousin is clouding your judgment. And, and as it says, there was such a sharp disagreement that they separated from each other. Now, here we see the gracious and strange providence of God and that there are actually two results of this conflict. One is the obvious one. This is a strange providence of God. When things happen, that doesn't make sense. And it's that Paul and Barnabas separate uh, these two faithful, mature, pioneering Christians can't agree, and they have to separate, and that's just, that just stinks. Uh, in a fallen world, right, where, 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 where there's a real enemy and we still struggle with the flesh, there are times when even godly, mature Christians cannot agree for the sake of the gospel, and that's just sad. And it doesn't always make sense why that happens. That's the strange providence of God. And at the very least, it reminds us that the Bible is not a storybook of heroes. The Bible has one hero, and it's Jesus. And what Jesus does is he comes after broken and dysfunctional people, and he saves them. And then he continues to use them despite their brokenness and their dysfunction. And it's all about Jesus' ability at the very least, that reminds, that, that reminds us of that. But there is a second outcome of this where we see again God's gracious providence. And it's this. Where once there was one mission team, now there are two. Right? Barnabas takes John Mark and goes to Cyprus. And Paul takes Silas and goes north. And where once there was only one mission team of Christians going into an unreached place, now there are two. What started as kind of a schism, a, a, a fracturing of unity, again, because Jesus Christ is who he is, it, it turns into multiplication. When human organizations like, have splits at the leadership level, right? Like if there's a church where the pastors like, don't agree and they like, come at loggerheads, at the very least, it weakens the organization, if not destroys it. But when it comes to the kingdom of God, because Jesus is king, he can take even our dysfunction and our, our, our mistakes and our failures and turn it into gospel multiplication. And at the end, all we can say is, Christ, you are, there is none like you. There is none like you. This is the beauty of what our God can do. It doesn't rationalize the failures here of Barnabas and Paul, but it just shows us where our trust is. Our trust is in the king. In God's gracious and strange providence, he works through imperfect people to do his perfect work. But this theme of God's gracious and strange providence continues. Again, so our first point, God's gracious and strange providence when Christians can't agree. Second point, more of God's gracious and strange providence. And here we get to verses 1 to 5, chapter 16. Let me read this for us again. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek and he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. 
And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. And so the churches were strengthened the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Where do we see more of God's gracious and strange providence? Well, it's the fact that Jesus continues to use Paul. Again, I don't think Paul comes across that great in the story. I really do think he comes across like a bit of a hypocrite. Like, really, Paul, you of all people, I mean, what are you so afraid of in taking John Mark? You really think Jesus can't use John Mark? You really think your gospel witness is dependent on your effectiveness? Like, you're really going to split? Like, I don't think he comes across well. And yet, that doesn't negate Jesus' desire to use Paul and Jesus' ability to use Paul. And this is what we see. Again, Paul heads back into Cilicia, and Christ uses him to strengthen the churches. And then he goes into Derby and Lystra and, can, and, and, and brings the decision of the Jerusalem council, which again strengthens the churches. Paul's weakness doesn't limit Jesus' ability to use him. When I was a senior in college, I did an internship in my home church uh, where I went to high school. And I did the internship in the youth group. And uh, I don't know if I can, uh, like, overemphasize how formative my high school youth group was on my faith. Like, if you scratch my soul, if you could do that, you don't have to go very far before you start getting to Calvary Church youth group. Formed how I think about Jesus. It formed my passion for the gospel. And so I was so pumped to go do this internship with really men and women who, in my mind, were titans of the faith. I was so excited to do it. And... Um, the church that I, that, that, that church at that time was, was in a transition period where the senior pastor for 25 years had retired and they just were having trouble finding another pastor and it was just a little bit of a dumpster fire. The church was just, it had been two years without a senior pastor. So imagine a church, you know, just leaderless, rudderless. And it was affecting the youth group and there was, they were just not in a good place. And, and I saw dysfunction and I saw like political maneuvering among, again, these men and women that were like titans to me. And it was so disorienting for me to see just the un ugly underbelly of this church that had been so formative for me. And I'll be honest, you know, if you know my story, um, I took five years off between undergrad and seminary, and there's a reason for that. I, since I was 10, the only thing I ever wanted to do is do ministry. And there's a reason, and part of that reason was the disorientation that began at that internship. The other reason is I met a girl. <laughs> It's not just that. These are complex things of, you know, a girl I knew I would never find another one like her. So there was some delays there that I don't regret in the least. But here's the thing. Even as I saw, you know, the brokenness in these men and women who had been so formative, it doesn't negate how Jesus used them in my life. It doesn't negate that they had a transformative impact this is where we see God's gracious and strange providence and that Jesus is never limited by the weaknesses and limitations of his followers. And again, Paul was remarkable in a lot of ways. I mean, he was brilliant, uh, entrepreneurial, incredible work ethic, and yet at the same time, he was also just a normal guy. Made mistakes, probably too confident in his own opinion, unwilling to budge on things he probably should have been willing to budge on. He was just a normal guy. But what Paul had is that he was available. He doesn't become perfect, but he's available. And so Jesus uses him. You don't have to be Billy Graham or Mother Teresa or Charles Spurgeon. Jesus doesn't need you to be that. He just needs you to be available for his use. 
to wake up every morning and say, Jesus, my, my days are yours. My life is yours. My kids are yours. My work is yours. My possessions are yours. I just use me. And if you make yourself available for Jesus, he will use you. I can promise you that. This is the gracious and strange providence of God. And here's the thing. Jesus doesn't just continue to use Paul. That's part of this gracious providence of God. Again, because God is so good, he also blesses Paul with an unforeseen blessing. Because it's when he splits from Barnabas that he meets Timothy, right? And there's a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who's a believer, but his father was Greek. And Paul likely had no idea when he met Timothy who Timothy was going to become to Paul. Now, from one angle, I mean, if, if you could custom make a co-laborer for Paul's missionary journey, you'd, you would create Timothy. His mother was Jewish, his father was Greek, and so he could swim in both worlds. He could speak both languages. He knew the cultures. And that was Paul's mission work. He'd go into, into cities, and he would first start the synagogue, and so you had to have some fluency with, with, with Jewish culture and, and understanding. But then they transitioned to the, the, the Greeks, the Gentiles. And so Timothy could walk both worlds, very unique. But even more than that, who Timothy became to Paul. So that Paul, writing the last letter of his life, 2 Timothy, to Timothy, he calls Timothy's beloved son. I mean, Timothy becomes not just a co-laborer, but a brother, a son, a strong support in many dark days ahead. So that Paul would write in Philippians that he had no one like Timothy. Timothy was, he had no one else like Timothy who partnered with him and cared for others and encouraged him in the way he did. And Jesus, Paul doesn't deserve this. He bungled his relationship with, I mean, how do you split with Barnabas? The guy's the nicest, I mean, he's the son of encouragement. You know, it's like, it's like, how do you, it's like, you have, how do you have a fight with a peacemaker? Like, you really got to have some problems. Like, Paul needs counseling. And yet Jesus, I mean, the gracious providence of God, he gives him Timothy. You know, of all the blessings God gives us, guys, relationships are the, are the most precious, right? Like, you can take my car, you can take my house, you can take my job, you can take all these things. But, like, relationships is what is so precious. And, and, and God just blesses Paul with Timothy. So again, we see this strange and gracious providence of God in these very strange circumstances and this very disappointing split. And yet God is still good to Paul. He still uses Paul. He's still active and at work. And in fact, he doesn't just continue to use Paul, but he, ex- he blesses him extravagantly. And here's the application for this. Because of the gracious and strange providence of God, rejoice always in everything. Again, you know, I don't think Jesus wanted Paul and Barnabas to split. And yet he was using that for his purposes. Because we know the character of God and who he is and that he is providentially active, he is your father. He is your provider and, your, and the one who cares for you. There's no circumstance that could happen that we don't rejoice in. We may not be able to connect the dots, but we know who God is. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 63. Because of your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. The psalmist is preaching that to himself. He's like, my, you know, I may not feel this. I'm going to praise you. My mouth will praise you. My life will praise you. Why? Because your steadfast love is better than life itself. Because God of who you are, your character, 
So rejoice, because Jesus not only advanced his kingdom out of Paul and Barnabas' split, but he also blessed Paul with a friend and a ministry partner who would be an immense source of encouragement in the dark days ahead. And so I wonder, you know, what's your week been like? Maybe some things happened that you didn't foresee. Maybe the last six months have been difficult. And you're like, you really want me to rejoice, Mike? Well, yes, because of the gracious and strange providence of God. Because Jesus was at work even in Paul and Barnabas' split. And he's at work in your life as well. So that's our second point. So, so far we've had God's strange and gracious providence when Christians agree. Second, more of God's gracious and strange providence. And third and finally, even more of God's gracious and strange providence. Let's read verses 6 to 10 in chapter 16. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, it's a lot easier to follow what's going on here if we can see a map. And so I have a map behind us, and it shows first Paul and Silas's journey starting in Antioch. Uh, that's on uh, your right. So starting here in Antioch. And again, they go up through the region of Galatia. He meets Timothy there. And then you see they're, they're moving on from the cities of Iconium and Antioch, which have been right in the middle. And uh, they try to go into the province of Asia, which was this Roman province right along the coast of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. But it says they, they were prohibited, forbidden by the Holy Spirit. We don't know what that means. Some kind of closed door. But they couldn't go there. So, okay, where else do you go? We'll try to go north into Bithynia. But they're not able to go there either. So where do you go? They're really just kind of pigeonholed into going into Troas, which was a city that was right on the coast there overlooking Macedonia and Greece. And it's while they're in that city that Paul has this vision of a Macedonian saying, come to us. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy and, and Luke, as we'll see, they, they begin Paul's second missionary journey. Now, before we get to the gracious and strange providence of God, this story gives us some really interesting insight in how do we discern God's leading, especially when the times are strange and we're in those times of God's strange providence. We're like, I, I don't understand what God's doing. How do we discern God's leading in our life? And I think we get three kind of insights from Paul and his, and his, and his ministry team here, and, and then we'll get into the gracious and strange providence of God. But first, in this story, God leads Paul and Silas and Timothy through circumstances. Circumstances that are not just coincidences. Okay, so, right, they, they want to go into Asia, but the door's closed. It's a circumstance. They want to go into Bithynia, but that door was closed as well. And then finally they get to Troas, which, by the way, was a major port city between uh, Asia Minor and Macedonia, and so they're on this major trade route where they could easily take a boat across to Philip, or right next to Philippi. And then Paul gets his vision, an open door. Sometimes God uses the, the circumstances of our lives through closed doors and open doors to lead us uh, into where he wants us to be. So first, God leads through circumstances. But second, God leads through our thinking. Again, it says in verse 10, we sought to go into Macedonia concluding 
that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Uh, they think about it. They conclude. They reason together. So they've had these closed doors, and then Paul has this vision, and they think through and they reason together. How do we make sense of this? What is God doing? God doesn't just lead through circumstances. He doesn't just lead through spiritual impressions. These are all important. But he also, he leads us through our brains because he created and designed us, and we have the ability to think logically. And so in, in, in humility and submission to God, God leads us through our thinking. But lastly, uh, God leads them through community. And this is really interesting. So Paul has this vision, and it doesn't say that, therefore, Paul concluded they were going to go. It says, therefore, we concluded. Which, by the way, means Luke is now with them. And many commentators think that, you know, this is the first time Luke speaks in the first person plural. Up to this point, it's always been Paul and they and third person. But now he's beginning to speak of first person, we, which means Luke is with them. And so many people think this is where they meet Luke and Troas. But it's a group decision. And they have these decisions. I mean, they've had these closed doors and the seeming open door. And so Paul doesn't say, well, I'm the, I'm the apostle. We're going to do this. But he goes and they have Timothy, Silas, and Luke, and probably a few others. And they, 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 they make this decision as a group. And, and now as Americans, this is one of the hardest things for us because we are so independent. Guys, we are so independent. We have a holiday to celebrate independence. And I don't think we have the converse holiday to celebrate mutual dependence. I mean, can you think of, I don't know, I was trying to think of this this morning. Do we have a holiday that would like celebrate our, mutual, our need of other people? No. Like, we're so independent. We're so individualistic. We just are like, no, it's going to be me and I'm going to do it. But here's the thing, guys. Jesus never intended us to follow him by ourselves. He never intended us to try to do this Christian discipleship on our own, but we need each other. And we need the insights of our brothers and sisters in Christ, even when they're different from ours, even when they challenge us, and even when it makes us look uncomfortable. That's how God led Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke. It was through their mutual decision. And so anyway, so this is just a little bit of insight into how God leads. He leads through circumstances. He leads through us using our brains. And then he leads through, through community, through the insight that we, uh, and feedback we get from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But let's get to the gracious and strange providence of God in this story. And that Paul and Timothy, they end up in Troas because nothing else works for them. That they can't go anywhere else. And you can imagine that was probably kind of confusing and frustrating. Like, here they are. They're, they're taking off from Antioch, and they want to go into Asia and they're not able to. And they're like, but Jesus, you've called us to preach the gospel where you're not known. And there's a lot of people in Asia who don't know you. And we're willing to pay the price. We're, we're willing to go. Why won't you let us? And then they try to go into Bithynia. And once again, no, the door's closed. You can imagine saying like, Jesus, what are you doing? I thought you wanted us to do this work. Sometimes God's ways seem most strange when he says no to something good that we know is in his will. And if you're like, Lord, help give me success as I rob this bank, like, and he says no, we're not surprised. But when we have unanswered prayers of praying for family members who don't know Jesus, it's like, I've been praying for 20 years, and God won't answer us. I don't understand, God, your ways. Or when we pray for something we truly need, or it, it's hardest when God says no to something good, just like he was saying no to Paul and Silas and Timothy as they were going through. But here's where we see the gracious and strange providence of God. 
Paul and Timothy, God had much bigger plans for Paul and Timothy and Silas than they did. Remember Paul's initial idea of what he wanted to do. 1536, he says to Barnabas, let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Paul's idea is, I just want to go back and, 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 and encourage the brothers and sisters and maybe we'll kind of expand around there a little bit. But God's plan for Paul and Silas and Timothy is not just to do a little bit of extra work, but it's to begin a brand new missionary movement on a whole new continent. Paul and Timothy and Silas just wanted to stay in Asia Minor, but Asia Minor had a gospel presence, and Jesus' call for them was to go into what is today Europe and to go plant churches in Philippi and Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica, which we know today because of the letters that were then written to those churches, Philippians, Ephesians, Thessalonians, Corinthians. God said no to their desire to go into these other areas because he had much bigger plans for Paul and Silas and Timothy than even they did. And so this is what brings us to the application here, which is when God says no, it's always for, the re- it's always for a reason. Again, Jesus wanted Paul and Timothy to begin a fruitful ministry on a whole new continent. Profoundly fruitful ministries. Founding churches whose names we still know today. So brothers and sisters, when God says no, again, unanswered prayers, unforeseen events, curveballs in life we didn't see coming, it's always for a reason. That's this gracious and strange providence of God. We, We don't believe in luck. We don't believe in coincidence. And so when God says no, especially when it's to something good, it's for a reason. And when, brothers and sisters, when God's providence seems very strange to us, when God's doing stuff, we don't understand it. That is when we don't rely on our own understanding, but we rely on what God has told us in his word. Because to all appearances, the split of Paul and Barnabas was not a good thing. And yet Jesus was at work through that. To all appearances, it made no sense why Jesus would forbid Paul and Timothy and Silas to go into Asia and Bithynia. And yet Jesus had a plan in all of it. Jesus is at work in your life, in your work, in your family, in your neighborhood. He's at work in your retirement. He's always at work. You can trust him. And because he's at work, even if we don't understand what he's doing, we can rest in the assurance that he really is Lord. He really is our king. He really is our brother. He loves us. He died for us. And he'll never abandon us. And one day, when we do finally see the end, and we're able to ask our questions, and receive whatever answers God wants to give. We will give thanks with glad hearts for the gracious and strange providence of our God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the way that your word speaks into our lives as a voice coming out of Sometimes the darkness, be it a voice that brings hope and life, that draws us into fellowship with the one who loves us unconditionally, without end. 
May we trust you. May we walk by faith. May we be a people who is filled with the Spirit. And when your ways seem strange, may we walk by faith and not by sight. We give you all of our praise for you are the God who works in all things. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.